Hi everyone, thank you so much for downloading this episode of Bees Pod. It's the morning after the night before and Mem and I look back at a truly catastrophic performance and result at Dover that leaves the bees bottom of the table and seemingly without a hope or a prayer. In today's episode, we look back at last night's performance, situating it in a run of bad form that sees the bees winless since October. And we look forward to the months ahead under Tim Flowers and hope and pray for a postponement to the season. We really hope you enjoy the episode. Let us know what you think and take care. Hello, everyone, and thank you very much for joining us on this Bees Pod, uh, taking in the gloomy aftermath of one of the darkest nights at the club for many recent years. Uh, but to navigate through this gloom, I'm delighted to be joined as ever by Mem. Mem, how are you doing this evening? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good, all things considered. Um, yes, I don't think we should go into that, into them. <laughs> I don't want to have any conversations about my mental well-being at the moment, especially with Barnet. Yeah, I think uh, Barnet is is definitely adding. People thought that the return to football in lockdown would uh, would provide some much needed enjoyment for people around the country, but I think Barnet fans probably would rather there was no football going on at all at the moment. Um, we're gonna we're gonna focus this show around a couple of things. We're gonna look back at Dover last night. Uh, we're gonna look uh, more broadly at Tim Flowers' start uh, at the club. He's been here for just uh, a month or so now, although obviously he hasn't played as much football as he would have liked. Uh, we're then going to have a quick discussion um, around what sort of things we need to change in the short term and then finish off with two things, a discussion around some long term issues and uh, some of the fantastic questions we received. So thank you so much. Uh, we've had about 30 or 40 questions coming in and we're looking forward to going through the best of those. Um, but Mem, I mean, we, you know, we, we put it off for a few hours. I, w- I was going to do this pod first thing this morning, but I put it off for a few hours. We're going to uh, look back at a pretty bleak night for Barnet. It had everything. It had, you know, freezing cold, pouring rain. Uh, it had, you know, a horrible pitch and it was a bit of a disaster um, in terms of the result, which leaves the bees at the bottom of the table. Um, let's get into it, man. What went wrong? Um, have we got time for that? I, th- I think <laughs> I think what went right is probably the best, you know, the, the easy question to uh, answer. Um, it was two really bad sides. And if I close it, you know, if I wasn't, if there wasn't a stadium behind there, that looked like the dog and duck versus the, I don't know, whatever. Um, you know, that was, it was that bad. It was such a crap game. Uh, it was awful, really low quality on a crap pitch, crap weather and two really crap teams um, just hoofing the ball and hoping that, you know, something would go in. And honestly, it was so depressing watching that and thinking that team that team that I support is that really crap team that can't seem to string two passes together and look appalling. Easily the worst team I've ever seen in my time of supporting Barnet. Yeah, it seems that seems to be a common refrain. I mean, I want to I want to actually dive back into some of the issues here because um, I think last night people, myself included, were feeling pretty negative, especially after the first forty minutes. I mean, you look at the pitch within about thirty seconds, you know it's going to be a game where. It's about percentages. It's about making sure you make minimal mistakes. And it's about making sure whatever happens between the boxes, you win the battle in both boxes. Um, And we kind of fell apart. And a couple of comments this morning made me think, well, actually, we were, you know, you could understand if we were playing a a nice sort of progressive style of football, that actually that pitch could be our undoing. But what seemed quite surprising was that we were sort of set up to play football on that pitch, right? Right. And that was the perfect pitch to play percentages hoofball in some ways. Um, and yet we we really looked abject um, for the first 30, 40 minutes. What what do you think Flowers was thinking going into the game and, and why didn't that work? Uh, OK, so the only thing I can think of um, is that Flowers was trying to get a bit of continuity by continuing the back three. Um, and I think as a, as a coach... One of the hardest things to do sometimes is if if you have a bad result, is to um, is to actually allow the team to gel and not make huge changes and try and get some sort of continuity. So I could see the thought process in Team Flowers' mind is that okay, I'm going to try this three. I've tried a three. I'm going to give it a couple of games at least to gel. Um, but one thing I've learned as well uh, over time, and this is obviously from playing. Um, on some terrible pitches in my time in my life um is that 
in some in, in when you're playing on a pitch that's boggy and as and as muddy as what was last night, sometimes what you have to do is you have to take you have to. It's almost a case of you've just got to have players in zones, um, because that ball you're going to struggle to to to, to cover a lot of ground, um, you know, running wise or be able to dribble in the ball wise. So it's really about sort of playing zones on the pitch. And to go into a game to try and play wing backs on a pitch like that, those wing backs were never going to get up and down, which meant that we had literally no width. And we had two guys in centre mid running around with so much space around them that they were struggling to close everything down. Um, and then you had three guys up the front, the three, well, Efren and then the two guys, they were just so isolated. And the ball was just getting lumped. And it was, um, there didn't seem to be any shape to the way we played. And I, I get that that is the the kind of football that Flowers wants to play, which is a territorial push the team up to the you know squeeze the team up um, and you know uh, with a high line and then get the ball forward quickly and then everybody goes in the second ball. But I think playing with the wing backs and especially the wing backs we have, Judd is a fullback, Ben and Williams inverted commas is a fullback um, and neither of them were able were ever going to be able to get up and down that wing on a pitch like that so it to me it's made it would have made more sense and this is not me captain hindsight but it made more sense as soon as you see the pitch walk in there you go you know what we're not playing wing backs today um we're going to play 4-4-2 and we're just going to battle each zone of the pitch um so i think i think he made a mistake but he i think clearly in his post match interview he realized he made a mistake and he and he put his hands up but at the same time i think he expected his players to show a bit more fight and a bit more and and the goals actually i mean two of the goals was it two of the, two of the three goals were from set pieces yeah well, so, from, yeah 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 set pieces or balls into the box exactly so it's not it wasn't even a case of the balls were from open the goals from open play caused by overloads or whatever it was literally everybody was in their zone and they couldn't hit the ball out and they couldn't win them win the headers. It's really interesting you say that, man, because I think what what you're trying to do in a formation is is give yourself some solidity and give yourself a couple of overloads and underloads. You know, or be tactical about where you do that, and that's why you know if you if you've got a side that are three, you know, playing three up top, you want to have four at the back, or um, you know, you want to have a plus one somewhere, and particularly at our level of football. Um, you want to have an extra body in midfield. I think pretty much at all levels of football, you certainly don't want to be outnumbered in midfield at the top level because that's where you're going to lose out in terms of your press and your ability to retain possession. But at our level, in terms of, you know, you're going to lose out in terms of the second balls. And by setting up, we, we actually, it, it's not a 3-5-2. It's a 5-2-3 is what it is if you watch us play. And the problem you've got is that you've got, you know, we'll go into Judd and, and Ben and Williams and so on and so forth, but they're playing so deep. They're playing so deep that they are essentially a flat back five. So there's no width going forwards. And the other problem is, is that even if a side plays, no side really plays four up top, they're, they're never really at any point engaging in defending because the play is always too far up the pitch for them to engage with. And the amount of times they are 10 yards off across um, is, is quite frightening, right? You'd think that the one good thing about playing wing backs is you can afford to get really tight to the wide players and stop the cross. Uh, because you can, you know, you know, Ben and Williams knows, right, I can get really tight to this player because if I do get beaten, then a centre-back can step across and deal with the danger. But what we're playing is we're essentially playing a narrow back five, which is conceding loads of space on the wings. The two centre midfielders, Harry Taylor and James Dunn, I you know, don't think Dunn's having a good season and I think he is limited in some ways. But he is asking impossibility because you've got a very deep back five who are then often choose to play a high line at very strange points in the game, but they're just in the back, you know, and we'll go into that in a moment. You've got this midfield two who have to essentially cover 40 yards. I mean, it's like doing a, a possession drill. You know, at pre-season, we both coached, at pre-season, if you want to get players fit, you, you make two players defend a four over a 40-yard square zone, and they're going to be blowing after 30 minutes. I mean, they are just sprinting around in the bog. There's no way. And often it would be that, you know, Dover would play probably, they probably had one central striker, two playing off him. Yeah, you know, always, essentially it's a four or five v two in the middle of the pitch, and then obviously our front three are still outnumbered, sort of four to one, sorry, four to four to three or five to three with a defensive midfielder. So we're essentially we're set up with underloads all over the pitch, which is a disaster, and and that really is at Flowers' door. It was quite clear on Saturday when we went to the four four two, we were far better equipped to deal with Altrincham. And take aside the fact that 
we were 1-1 at half-time. We didn't deserve to be 1-1 at half-time. We played our best football when we were 4-4-2 because it gives the stability to the players and it gives us two banks of four. It enables the wide players to tuck in. And we have got some really, really bad players in the side and who are massively low on confidence. Um, I don't necessarily buy the, the work ethic from some of them. I, I do think they are working hard, but they're just so lost of confidence. And you could put some really good players in that team and they will just be killed by it. And that's why we've got to be very careful about putting young players in the side at the moment because it is just a vortex of doom putting them in that side. And we've seen kids like, you know, Jamal Lowe at Barnet, for example, not getting in a side that was struggling for relegation. It's probably good for their development not to be in that side because it is just so hard to compete. But we have to really change that shape because it is not suiting any of the players we've got. It's got to be a back four. And the final thing I'll say is if you look at the set pieces, I understand Flowers is thinking, right, let's get two, three, two or three large lads in the middle to defend set pieces. We've been woeful at defending set pieces. Dover scored two last night and they could have had three or four more. And I think a big problem there is that when you've got three big players, there's not always that clear leader to take responsibility. It's almost like you've got too many cooks. You've got three centre-backs, so they're all man-marking or they're all picking up zones. You look at when we had good, decent defences, Gary Breen, Joe Devera, um, Michael Nelson, you had a very clear, dominant single figure that was able to go and win the ball and that everyone took their lead off. And I think back there, you've got essentially five or six giants who are all getting quite confused and there's just no leadership there. You look at when the goals go in, there's no leadership on the pitch. In part, that's due to confidence, but in part, it's due to the fact that we're set up in a way that's just not helping us. Don't get me wrong, with the players we've got, we would not be higher necessarily than we are right now. We might be 20th, 21st in the table, but we'd be a lot more competitive. And we can be competitive at this level, um, but we're, you know, the quality of, of the side, I think, is a, is a lower quarter team. But it's certainly not as bad as last night was. And that is in part due to the, due to the tactics we put out, I think. I agree. But the, one thing I think to bear in mind, though, as well, you're talking about um, the leadership. I think, to be fair you've got out of that back five, four of them are brand new. There is any defense needs. And this is, this goes back to my whole point about um, bombing out the whole bloody squad um, in the summer is that is, is understandings all over. I mean, you know, Daly's got to create an understanding with uh, Everton. What's his face. Um, And, uh, and I, and I, and I just, you know, and the, and the other guy, um, was it, how'd you say his name? Careful last time. And you got um, Barris and every, uh, sorry. Bray is what I call him. So Richard Everton, I think it is. Richard, Richard yeah. Everton, yeah. So you've got, you know, brand new guys and you've got Judd as well as right back. And then you've got Ben and Williams who, honestly, I just, I, I, I think he is, I just, he's just not good enough. Um, and one of the big problems as well with this, with the, with the setup of the side as well is, uh and if you've ever, if anybody's ever played centre forward or played as a centre mid, your out ball usually is if you can't go forward, your out ball is out wide. With the two full backs being so deep, as you know, the two wing backs being so deep, every time we did win the ball, there was nobody to the side of us to be able to play that very simple ball out to the, out to the wide areas and you know, and then go and then move and then get, get the ball back off them because they were so deep. They weren't even options in the final third. Um, there was occasions where I remember where we were in the, we, the ball was in in their th- in the final third of theirs, and I'm looking back and where is off where's our wing backs? There's literally no support coming from the wing backs, um, and the problem is they just can't get up and down. Ben and Williams can't get up and down normally, but they can't get up on a pitch like that that boggy. Getting up and down on that pitch is just impossible. So he made the right call in going four four two and pulling out a defender um, in the second half. It was marginally better um, in the second half. But going back to the point, um, uh, you know, whereas Dover, you know, capitalised on their, on their dead ball kicks, our dead ball kicks were horrendous. I mean, James Dunn, I mean, it was called Flowers even called him out in, the, in a post-match interview. James Dunn delivery was shocking. Absolutely shocking. Uh, if it, it, Clearly, I couldn't understand. I tweeted this last night. It's a sad state of affairs if James Dunn is the best best dead ball kicker in the team because it was a poor, I genuinely believe I could go and go on the pitch and done a better job than he did at dead ball kicks. Um, they were literally not one hit the not, barely beating the first man. Um, there was so bad, and then when we did finally get the ball in the box and people were getting headers, people weren't getting clear headers or people weren't connecting with the headers properly, and we've got a team of giants. And I just look at it and thought. Okay, in this league, and we 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 mentioned this actually. 
probably really early on in Bees Pod where we said that you, that all the best teams at the lower level are good at dead ball kicks um, in both boxes, and we are so bad at in attacking and defending. You know, uh, what's called corners and free kicks, and we <laughs> need to be so much better than that. Yeah. It's interesting because actually just a couple of things you touched on there, man. I, I want to just talk briefly about Ben and Williams because, I mean, if you watch the way that we play at the moment, he he is significantly off it. Like, he, you know, he is nowhere near the level that he needs to be in terms of his current performance level. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. I watched back quite a few highlights of, of previous games just to sort of get a sense of how we're conceding goals. And a scary number of goals come from an inability to put sufficient pressure on a ball into the box. So we essentially, you know, we allow balls to come into the box far too easily and then we're poor at defending them. Um, but actually, you know, Ben and Williams technically on the ball, I think is a pretty decent player. I think he's a he's a good shield of the ball. I think he can pass the ball well. I don't think he's a terrible decision maker on the ball. Um, but it's just a classic example of, of someone who is being played in such a way where all of their weaknesses are magnified. And it's another example you had with um, with Daly and uh, and Kefalas and the back three who are slow. And, you know, you're pushing up on a, on a pitch that I think it was in the first 10 minutes, Dover had two one-on-ones, right? And they weren't one-on-ones from a, you know, a nice passage of play. They were a 40, 50-yard ball that we couldn't pick up. We're turning in the mud, the ball's sticking in the mud, and we have got a massive lack of pace there. And so if Flowers does want to play you know, uh, a sort of a long ball style of play. You've got to get that compactness in the side to win the second balls. And if you have the the level of pace across the back four that we currently do, it's going to be very, very difficult to do that. Don't get me wrong. The players need to take responsibility. There was far too much shirking. um, And actually, as a player, you've got to sort of problem solve on the pitch a little bit, right? It's not a question of you just turning and looking at the dugout every five seconds. You've got to take some responsibility. If you know that you're getting beaten for pace, you need to drop off two or three yards. You have to make your own decisions to some extent. So they do take responsibility. But the, the problem last night is we were set up almost to lose the game. And that's not obviously deliberate, but that's how it how it feels, is that Dover are a very, very poor football side. They they left us essentially three on three at the back. They left themselves three on three at the back four or five times in only five minutes. I mean, no side that is worth or that is trying to stay up would think about doing that. You think about the massive six pointers we've had in relegation battles over the last 10, 15 years. It's tight, it's cagey, it's settled in the 50, 60th minute by a penalty or a set piece. Here, both sides were just unbelievably open, incredibly naive in how they defended. Um but what they did do is is they basically had you know a paceyish front line. They had a little bit more poise in terms of their patterns of play. And by sitting off with a back five, we showed them so much respect. Similar to Altrincham, you Altrincham are a very good side. But if you sit off any side at any level and you let them play four v two, they're going to look so much better than they are. And the, the real shame was the game plan going into that game last night. You know, don't get me wrong, we are a bad side and we are going to get relegated. But the game plan going into that was just so frustrating. And I really hope for Saturday it changes because if we go into Torquay with a with a five two, you know, five two three, it's not exaggerate you know, I've I've stepped on it, we will get beaten six or seven nil. Um and, and that's that's no exaggeration. No, I agree. And I think actually Dover did something quite smart, which um the only person the only time I've ever seen, I've seen this and really noticeably saw this and it was as a tactic. Um, we did, I remember we discussed this. Do you remember that game where we played against Oxford? Where we yes, lunchtime. Uh, was that the one where it was? It was the one where basically they we were so compact they were struggling to break us down, and they were they were near the top of the league. And then they decided to make the pitch longer. And by by and by that I mean um, is you know they always say when you're coaching and you're doing your coaching courses and stuff like that they always say you try and make the pitch wide wider and longer when you've got the ball um, or, or you try and compress obviously the the what a lot of people's teams do now is they try and make the the back the the line between the back line and their back line really compact so that you don't have um, you know haven't got as far to go to get to goal when you win the ball. Um, but the other, there are other tactics as well. They say sometimes, you know, to try and create space, you try and make the pitch wider or you try and make the pitch longer. And it, not many teams try and make the pitch longer. And by that, I mean, is they drop off on purpose, but obviously try and keep a man up. Um, and that creates space around the pitch. Um, and I've only seen Oxford do that to us effectively once where they just did it and they drew us out because suddenly there was like, they had loads of time on the ball because the pitch was longer. Um, Dover did that to us last night, I noticed. And Hess and Tyler's a smart guy. 
Um, and the reason that was imp- was it was it uh, was in- was impressive was that they had the guy that they could put the ball over the top to the back um, in- behind our back five, who can who could turn them. And our back five wasn't particularly quick. But what it also meant was that our our defense when they got the ball to try and pump the ball really far and get it in behind them, that ball had to go a long, long way. And in them conditions, that ball couldn't go that far. So what was happening was, is the ball was was falling far too short and it ended up being a lot of heading contests around sort of the number 10 area because the, you just, you know, in that kind of conditions, you can't physically kick the ball um, as far as you want to kick it. And, and I, th- I saw that and I thought, that's what we should, you know, what that did was then, the, the the knock-on effect of that was that it also it created far more space in midfield, which is where they had a lot of their players. And we had James Dunn and Harry Taylor only in sitting in centre mid, which was the part of the reason why they were swamped and having to cover such loads of gra- a lot of ground because they made the pitch longer um, in the way they set up. Um, and the only way really to counter to counter that is to try and uh, would was would be for us to push up even further. But we just didn't have the pace to do that. Um, and the other option potentially as well would, would have been to, again, was to change the shape to get more players in midfield because that's where the battleground was was becoming because you can't buy because you can't bypass the midfield because the pitch is too long and the weather conditions don't allow you to hoof the ball long. Um, I'm not sure if that explanation was was a good explanation. <laughs> No, yeah, essentially what you, you try and do is you try and dislocate a team's shape. And a, a good example of this is, is sort of City do it quite well. You don't know if you remember a couple of years ago, you know, Edison launching, it's against Arsenal, I think Edison launching a ball from his goal kick straight to Jesus. And and what they do is, it, it, it's slightly different, but obviously they, they stretch the pitch out so much, they often go short, but by keeping the long option, you force the opposition team to defend all of the pitch and not just part of it. Um, and often at our level, you'll see, and it was last night, you often see it a goal kick. 15 16 almost all the players in a, inside of almost a 30 square yard area um on one side of the pitch um and it's just so compact and it's so so tight and it's just second balls and scraps and stuff like that um and i, I you know I, I think there was an element of what dover were trying to do but it's almost impossible not to win a midfield battle against against two players when you've got four in there i mean it, it, to some extent it is it is decent from Hess, but they were not a good side and actually you saw when they were put under a modicum of pressure and we didn't play that much better in the second half but when they were under a modicum of pressure, um, they really, really, really struggled. And, and they were struggling to get out in the second half as well. Um, I guess this takes us, Mem, to, to a couple of things, really. And, and it, it does seem that players, some a couple of players are, are being singled out um, for, for particular parts of criticism. One of them being Alfie Pavey. I think one of them being Ben and Williams. Do you think that, that this is a, a player quality issue? Um, do you think it's a tactical issue? What of those two things? What do you think is the main cause for the reason that we're currently where we are? I think the well, I think I think from the start, I think the construction of the squad was terrible. Um, and I, I made this point, I think, on the last beast pod or potentially on, on Twitter. Fact is, if you bring in fullbacks in this modern day, it's a good idea that you have fullbacks that can switch between uh, a wingback system and playing fullbacks the old days of having a guy who just sits in and plays in at left back or plays, just sits in and plays at right back and just kicks the ball down the line gone. And one of the big, one of the big advantages of what we did last year was that we, we had that flexibility to change between a four, two, three, one and a three, five, two, and actually had wingbacks that could contribute in the final third. We've got fullbacks who are literally just fullbacks and they can't contribute in a wide area. Um, And, and so that in itself is is, is is poor management. I wouldn't, um, you know, personally, if I'm constructing a squad, I'm not going to go for it. I, I need players that can play in two ways, um, not just players can just play one way. Um, and the when I look for um, Alfie Pavey, obviously was was I think was a bit of a, a bit of a panic buy um by Darren Curry. He wanted something different. I don't think Alpha Pavey was going to ever be a regular in the side. I think you know, like the key was he wanted a big guy that he could send on if he needed to, if the if plan A with Akinola and um Walker wasn't working. Don't think he was ever going to be um you know like a, a regular. I, I think it's been I think people have been look people know my feelings on Pavey. I've made it clear for many years. Um but last night he was in a situation where balls were just getting lumped up to him. Um, and 
in those conditions. And he was the only guy that the ball and the ball and the quality in the ball wasn't even particularly good. That was coming up to him and he was just told to go and fight for it. And, and he, and they were outnumbered um, the guys playing up front because there was nobody around them to support them. Um, I just think it was, uh, he was on hiding to nothing. Uh, and to be honest, I think all the forwards are on hiding to nothing because let's be fair. If you look at the side, this is, this side is, is looking quite Gareth Southgate, England-esque, which is like, you know, seven, seven defensive players and two, you know, three, three attacking players. You, you don't, you don't, def- you don't, def- you, def- you attack as a team, you defend as a team. Uh, and we are like almost like two separate units. And the three up front, the three in the forward areas have just, got, just don't, haven't got a chance if they're just three of them. Um, you know, they're not Messi, Ronaldo and, you know, Ronaldinho. They're just, you know, they're, Three run-of-the-mill, um, you know, you know, non-league striker uh, players. Yeah, I think I think this goes to my point, which is that it is, you know, there's a tendency to look at the squad. You think a lot of people are saying it's the worst squad we've ever had, and there are some bad players in there. But actually, there are a few players that you could, you know, Dunn and Harry Taylor, for example. You, they don't go from being a side that that finished in the in the upper half of of, uh, of the league to one that are or to a side that are in the bottom by becoming bad players overnight. They're being asked to play, or the team is being set up in a way to play that just maximises their deficiencies rather than their strengths. And I think similar with Mason Clark. You know, Mason Clark is a good player, um, and actually, there's quite a lot of decent-ish players around the squad. It's just that we're not currently maximising them to anywhere near where they are, um, where they need to be. And the other big problem now is that the confidence is so shot, and and you just see it after the goals. I mean, there's nothing there. And it sort of reminds you of those long runs we used to go on in League Two, where we, you know, we'd be like ten without a goal or whatever, whatever it was, never quite that bad. Um, where you just don't know where your next point's coming from, and these players just don't seem to know when the next goal's coming from, when the next point's coming from, um, when the next anything's coming from, and it sort of becomes a, a spinning vortex. And having, you know, worked with a side, you know, and gone through as a, you know, as a coach, really, really rough patches where you're. You're struggling. You're near the bottom of the league. You're you're not being able to pick up points that you need to. It's so hard to turn around. Um, and I thought against you know Saturday against Altrincham, I think we had one shot on target, which was the goal, which came from nothing. We are not creating anything. Um, and this kind of leads me to a broader point. I think you know Flowers' style of football. You have to you have to back it right. There's, you're not going to make another change. Obviously, it's ridiculous to say that. And I'm really impressed with how he's conducting himself in the interviews. Do, do you think that what what would if you were flowers? He said last night he was going to go and sit and watch for ten hours and see what he could improve on on the footage. What sort of things do you think will jump out to him as stuff that we can fix, irrespective of who's in the side? You know, there are some personnel things. People said drop Nugent, we drop Nugent, and Nugent is not a, not a good player. Um, but you know, things haven't necessarily improved since he's gone. So if you if you had the same eleven starting eleven um, on Saturday as you did last night, what would you do to make it? A slightly better performance what sort of things will Tim be picking out and saying you know what we need to do this we need to do this we need to do this um, because the reality is we're not going to be able to transform the squad for a third time or a second time this season because the play we won't the players won't want to come to us well I think this I mean look I mean for me there's some there's some there's some very simple things change the shape straight away you've got Petrasso who is a very who looks a very good player um we, I know. Look, we all know that um, when um, Ephraim Mason Clark is on, is firing, he is unstoppable. He started the season on fire. This is a bit what people don't, some people don't have forgotten already. He started the season on fire and was getting doubled up on, tripled up on by the opposition because he was he. He's not been the same player since he's come back from COVID, um, and I do wonder if that's had an impact on 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 him because I, I I believe he's one of the one of the people that had COVID, um, and. But I do think you, if you change the shape, look, the fact is we, we're not, I don't know where what, what's happened to Wordsworth, but clearly Flowers don't, doesn't fancy him. Um, and if he if he does fancy him, um, he must be out injured because I don't understand why he's not been involved at all. But ultimately, we've got two centre midfield players who are not creative midfield players. Okay, that's fine. You can get around that because in Flowers' football, you don't need creative midfield players. But what you do need is... Um, you need to create pressure on teams and cause mistakes because when you play long ball football, when you play direct football, it's about putting teams under some uh, camping in teams halves and putting them under so much pressure that basically they, um, they start to, they give the ball away cheaply. And then in a lot of teams um, that play long ball football, they generally have 
good wide players because the idea is the ball comes back out, gets headed back out by a defender. Somebody comes, collects it in midfield, knocks it out to the wide guy who's already in the final third. Um, and, you know, and that is second ball football. So in that case, you've got, we've got Petrasso and we've got Ephraim Mason Clark. Get them out on the wings, get the two guys in centre mid, but we need as a team to push up. We need four, we need four in. And one thing we need to do is we, we need a new left back because, um, and I'm really surprised. What, what's that? Why is, what's Connor's, um, why is Connor's, um, you know, not being able to get a, get a game? Because I don't understand it. He looked very good, looked very agile, very um, nippy. Um, and he looked a good player. He looked a really good player, a good little spot. And um, I don't understand why he suddenly found himself out of the side. Um, is there something that he's not, he's not get? he's, he's not, he's, Flowers just is this a case like last season? I remember, um, somebody saying to me that, um, Darren Curry basically, uh, no, it wasn't Darren Curry, Junior Lewis had said to one of the supporters, I don't get why everybody goes on about Titonda, you know, he's, um, I don't see it. And they didn't play Titonda, and then then they changed the shape, played Titonda, and all of a sudden Titonda played every single game after that. Um, and they got it, and they suddenly realized what he added to the team was that agility down the side, being able to get up and down. And, and just basically having, having that option where you've got a guy supporting somebody on the wide areas. Um, and I think the Connors is, is, is a good option. I don't know enough about Judd to see what he can do. Um, you could always have the option if he's worried about, you know, security is Judd and play McQueen on the right-hand side. He's got that as an option. McQueen looks all right in the final third, just can't defend. Um, so you've got options there, but I think the option is, is to make it go back to basics. Let's not try and make it too complicated. 4 4 2 and get the players to, you know, most players have grown up with 4-4-2 in their life. It's a very simple system, you know, and it's very, it's very, you know, it's it's a simple system for players to just, you know, just to, to pick up and play. Um, and if we're going to play a bit more crudely, then it's, there's no point trying to overcomplicate it by playing three at the back and things like that. You know, I, I think there's a benefit to playing three at the back. It does require a little bit more fluidity, a little bit more thinking in terms of transitions in particular and, and where those wing-backs play is so crucial. As I said, I don't think many Billy Williams is a bad player on the ball, but I really don't see it defensively as, as him being an issue. And and even, you know, we're not playing a 3-5-2, we're playing a 5-2-3. I think the key is to get more men in the midfield. You play a 4-4-2, and then you've got a lot more flexibility because you can always ask one of those front players to drop off onto their defensive midfielder to give you a three in midfield, or you can play very narrow. There are things you can do with that. But essentially what it seems to be the case in the last two games is that we start with a 3-5-2 until it goes goes wrong and then we say okay let's just change this and, and then we have a decent-ish spell for 30 minutes um i think a couple of other things man that, that that stand out is in terms of recruitment obviously recruitment this season has not been good um and that's in part due to the budget but also in part due to i think some some structural issues there in terms of how we go about recruiting do you think that you know we said last time right we need a, a center back um or two center backs and a, and a full back or you know, we've got out and got those things. Things haven't improved. Do, do you think that we should go out and recruit players? Or do you think that we should see how we can maximise the squad's potential here? I mean, do you think it, it's worth actually investing money in wages? Would that just be throwing good after bad at this stage? Um, we'll come to the relegation question later on. But yeah, what what are your thoughts in terms of recruitment? Um, certainly the next few weeks. I'm a bit concerned about just constantly bringing in new players because I, th- I think the problem you have then is it becomes unworkable on the training pitch. Um, if you've got more than, you know, if you've got more than two players worth in your squad, which I think we're like, we're almost getting to now, it becomes impossible because some players have to sit out and things like that. And it just becomes very difficult to, to, to even just run training sessions. Um, also, I do think, uh, I know that we, you know, I know we said about the, the fact that there was, you know, that we Britain's brought in centre backs. It hasn't changed. They have to have a chance to, to gel. They have to have a chance to have some sort of get some sort of um, understanding going. Um, there is solutions, I think, options within the squad. Um, if we change the shape, I don't. We don't. I don't. We don't have the players to play this, that system that Tim Flowers played last night. And I think he's alluded to it. I think he's decided. Okay, that's not the way forward. Um, we're not. We you know we can't play with three at the back. Um, we just don't have the options. If we had like an Elliot Johnson to play as, as a left centre back or whatever, you've got options then. Because then, because then all of a sudden you can uh, have the left side centre back bringing the ball out of defence and do that sort of thing. But um, there are options. I, I just think there are options, but I think it's a case of just unlocking it, unlocking the um, the potential. I do think that um, 
I'd like to see Wordsworth in with one of Harry T- Harry Taylor or James Dunn. Ideally, I'd go with Harry Taylor because I think James Dunn has, has been really poor. Um, it's somebody in there who will keep the ball uh, and somebody who can move the ball, who can put the ball with quality. Um, I'd like to see Petrasso start. I'd like I'd like to see the two wide players swap as well because my problem with Efren playing on the right is I think that Efren just suddenly goes down becomes you know goes down blind alleys. Whereas I think if Efren was to play on the left, he's more inclined to he'd come inside a bit more as well onto his right foot and he'd be a bit more dangerous. Um, and he would, he would go for the option of off off the option of cutting in shooting on his right foot. Uh, and I'd like to see so I'd like to see him and Petrasso swapping over um, up front. Potentially up front, I think. I think we are short with Walker not being around, um, and I think we've got. The, I, I'm not too. I, I'm not convinced with Farl, and I'm not sure Pavey's up to the quality either. Um, JJ Hooper looks like he's doing it in in um, little. You know, he's not. He's not. He's he's not a ninety minute player. Put it that way. But I just think part of the reason is he's just not getting the service, and I think it's very difficult for him to you know making just making runs and then ball never coming. So yeah. So maybe I, I, a striker. Maybe I'd say a striker is what we need. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think there's a there is a danger, as you said, of, of throwing a good money after bad and b overloading the amount of players. You don't want forty five players knocking around, and we'll come on some questions later about players who are dissatisfied. It's not going to be a cappy camp at the moment. I think you need a tight knit group, and it's interesting whenever Allen's come in 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 similar situations. One of the first things he does is to sort of bomb off any players who are who are pretty unhappy or who are not getting football. I think before we look at some longer term things and, and come to some people's questions, I think there probably is a, a question that always hangs over the club uh, at times like this, which is around relegation and around, you know, let's just take aside the hypothetical situation of whether the league will be cancelled or non-league South will be cancelled. Is relegation inevitable? And if not, why not? At this current time, I think it is. I think I think look we we there's a big gap between us and we're not showing any evidence that we're going to turn that around. The team is still looking disjointed, still looking like it. No, nobody seems to know how to play with each other. Until we I see a, until I see a one or two good performances back to back, I think we I think we're doomed. Um, it's you know you, you, your eyes your eyes don't fool you. Your eyes can see that we are a really awful team, and uh, and we deserve to go down. Um, at this precise moment, so unless I start, unless I see a couple of games back to back, which gives me a bit of hope, where I suddenly see some patterns of play, start to see some sort of system work in, um, I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced that we've got any chance of getting out of this. Yeah, I, I think the only saving grace is I think there is a lot more to come from some players, and I think in in the systems that we hopefully go ahead and try out on Saturday, I'd be amazed if he doesn't start with the four on Saturday. Um, I think there's there's going to be real opportunities there for us to improve. I just do worry that even if we do improve, it's not going to be enough. And there is a large gap there. Also, the league is playing out in a way that leagues sometimes do, where it's sort of like a couple of kids get sorry, a couple of clubs getting dropped at, at the bottom, but then a whole bunch of sides sort of taking points off each other. And it does look like the safety line uh, is going to be around about fifty points, and that is a hell of a long gap. You know, we would need to be bagging you know 1.6 1.7 1.8 points per game from now to the rest of the season um which is going to be tricky i think the other thing i'd say um before we look at the final section is is on flowers and i think he's done a pretty good job at least of of someone who who's a you know he's a serious guy he knows what he's doing um i probably you know it's not pretty football to watch and i think that would become an issue later on if we were having some sort of some normal season in mid table people get frustrated at that but um you know, it is he, his interviews are consistently saying the right thing. I think he was visibly very, very angry last night. I actually don't feel that the Dover time came. Dover game came at a great time for us, straight off the back of Saturday. You know, you lose in the 90th minute. We go into that game carrying a lot of that stuff into that game. Um, so I do really hope that Flowers is is given not given time. I think he he has to be given to the end of the season. But um, you know, he sticks with it and actually doesn't give up hope. Not explicitly but also keeps trying to figure out solutions because I think there is something that can come from this and if you get one win it really does have a big impact and you know we just need you know we need a lot we need to not be three nil down at half time which is something that we've been in the last few weeks against Boreham Wood and against uh and against Dover last night um but a win can do wonders for players confidence and I, I do feel that we haven't seen the best of these players and um, we're going to take a, a very short break but we're going to come back for the final section to go through your questions 
and then to ask some longer term questions about the club. Okay, so for the final uh, part of the pod, we're going to look at two things. We're going to start off with a a brief discussion really about perhaps some longer term concerns that people might have around the club. Um, And I guess, you know, at times like this, there's always a lot of heat on the chairman um, who, um, in part due to, you know, the promises he's made in the past few years and some of the really interesting conversations that are coming out about the hive and and the sort of nature of the club in lockdown um, is a sort of focal point for this criticism. Um, how big a responsibility do you think he has to take for this mem? I've seen some people say, yep, he's entirely wrong. We ran a poll, which I think about three and four people said he was he was the most responsible for it. But then some other really interesting points and people saying, well, actually, you know what? You know, COVID is, is such a, a huge thing to navigate as a football club and we've just been badly caught out by it. Um, where do you sort of stand on that? I think that the strategy of dismantling the squad um in 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 this in the circumstance we had with very with a short preseason um was madness and i said i said this and some people were like no you it's for the good of the club and i said and i always said just can't put a side together that quickly and expect it to do well um and the interesting thing is the clubs that have done they're doing well are the ones that had the continuity and for some reason they they all seem to have got ridden through this COVID period. Okay. I think the biggest problem was, is that Kenyanth was panicked. Um, and we may have covered this already in the past, but he panicked. And the fact is, is he's the one that jumped first out of all the, out of all the chairman in our league, he jumped first. Um, and put a straight away, put us on the back foot. And then the second, so that was the first mistake in my opinion, because there were players in the squad who were released who had second years or had option years and they weren't taken up. So we let really good players, good players at this, at this level walk out on a free um, because we didn't, we, 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 you know, we decided to, you know, that we weren't going to pay, you know, that we didn't want to pay that another year of their contracts at that price. So I could get where some people coming from in terms of their thought process around, you know, saving the club, et cetera. But again, loads of clubs in our division, um, seem to have coped with this period. Um, the second mistake he made was if you're going to do that and you're going to suddenly find yourself with a new squad to build is get somebody who is who really knows the division and really knows um, how to, what, how to, you know, how to play in this division and will be able to do something um, with limited budget. Um, and we went and got somebody who hadn't managed a side in God knows how long, who had never managed at lesser level. And lived in, I think, lives up near Bristol. Okay, so he doesn't even have an understanding of the local, the local scene. Um, that was the second mistake, and it just was. They, these are footballing mistakes. Some of these that that have been made by the chairman. Um, so, and and I, and I made this point earlier as well. Is that what's happened now is that the club is so intrinsically, um, you know incorporated within Barnet PLC that it's impossible for the club, for somebody to come in and go, you know what, I'll, I'm going to buy Barnet off Cleanthos and, and try and make something of Barnet. Um, which means that, um, you know, we, we, it may, you can't buy the club without buying the whole business and the whole business is worth so much money that, that it's impossible. We are, that we'll never ever, you know, if something, God forbid something happens to Cleanthos, what is going to happen to our club? You know, what will happen to our club? Will it be sold? To, will somebody pick it up and, you know, buy it off the family of Cleanthos? Or will Cleanthos one day decide to sell up and then somebody just basically asset strips us? Um, you know, what is going to happen to the club? Is, is, you know, in becoming this great, massive organisation, we are now in a situation where the club is a tiny part of that and... The football club is, is, is in some respects, as any businessman, it's going to be an afterthought because they're looking at it going, look at this big leisure complex and look at, you know, all this business that we're getting out of the leisure complex. I don't care about the team. So I'm really concerned. I'm genuinely concerned. And as long as Cleanthos keeps making such poor footballing decisions, I can't see um, 
this club is going to become a smaller and smaller concern within the wider business of Barnet, you know, Barnet Holdings or whatever it is. Yeah, I, I share a lot of that. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not Clancy's biggest fan. I'm certainly not his biggest uh, hater, for want of a better word. And I, I certainly don't um, subscribe to the view that he's, you know, deliberately taking money out of the club, all this nonsense. And I think he genuinely does care about the club and he's a Barnet fan at heart. I do believe those things. But I do think there are some systematic issues within the club. And one of them is that I just don't think there are sufficiently or su- sufficiently strong characters in the club to challenge or to think about or to question some of the decisions that are being made. Um, and, and that's a classic example. On the footballing side, there is no coherent strategy. And obviously in football, it is hard and COVID is really hard, right? That does sort of throw a dent through your strategy. But it doesn't mean you have no strategy. And at the moment, we are lurching around. In the last year, we've gone from really high quality progressive football um, we've gone to Beadle, which was a, just a mad appointment. And now we've gone full circle with Flowers. And it, it's just panic. And I think one the one criticism I will level at Cleanthus, um, more than anything else, is he, and I've said this many times before, is that there's not enough focus on long-term economics. So you think, right, COVID's happening. We need to reduce the wage bill. It's going to be very difficult. And, you know, I know it is. I run a business. I know how hard it is in COVID times. I do get all that stuff. But... At the same time, if you cut now and you say we're going to get rid of everything, you're going to end up spending so much money later on down the line. How much is Flowers on? How much does it cost to you know get rid of Beadle? We're now looking at a squad of 30 players. You know, It's just madness and it's just the same every single year. It's like Groundhog Day. It's just the same. The club is stuck in these ridiculous cycles of just short-termism. And you know, it's like being on the Titanic and seeing an iceberg and saying, oh yeah, there's not going to be a problem until we hit it. I mean, if you can see the iceberg, you move the boat, you know what's going to happen if you get rid of every single player at the club. You know what's going to happen if you underfund and underinvest in the in the playing side. You're going to end up spending more money. And it just, for me, it's so frustrating because, you know, I get a lot of issues around the hive and particularly now it, it is very soulless and it's not a nice place to watch football. But it wasn't always like that. You know, four or five years ago, it was great. You had crowds in the, in the league. Sure, they... You know, People often talk about Underhill being slightly higher, and, and it, it was to an extent, but there were still some great times at the Hive. You know, that the end of the sort of 15 16 season when, you know, we were sort of finishing upper, well, not upper mid, but sort of lower mid table. That year when we almost got into the playoffs, I think it was, um, or we were in the, sorry, that's a lie. We didn't get into the Premier League playoffs, but we were, you know, seventh when we beat Orient. Like, we had some really good times at the Hive, and that away end's been packed out, and some good games against Portsmouth and the like. Even the Oxford game we were talking about earlier, it's not a terrible stadium, and I think. There is an element of when things go wrong, all of these gripes come out of the cupboard, right? Like, you know, oh, why are we moved out of Barnet? Why are we the Hive? And there is a place for those conversations. It just shouldn't be every single time we lose a game of football. Um, but I think that the worrying thing for me is I just don't see there's enough challenge and rigour in the football-making decision at the club. Um, and I think that, you know, that increasingly now there are some existential questions around what will happen to the club if Cleantos does leave or does sell up or, or whatever the situation is. And I think there probably some clarity there is going to be useful, certainly in the next year or two, because I can only see things getting smaller and smaller and the fan base dwindling and dwindling. Um, and I, I do worry, you know, if you look at the average age of people at the Barnet Stadium, it's particularly at home, it's it's not young. And, you know, are those people going to be as confident going out and about after COVID? Are those habits going to change? You just don't know. And um, it could be the case that we end up with this massive stadium, a bit soulless, playing in um you know the middle of the, the the conference south and and it's you know in front of 600 people it's not really a great experience and it just becomes a vicious cycle so i don't think kant is entirely to blame i think you know beadle was is a poor manager and i think he signed poor players but the lack of foresight is just so frustrating from where i'm at agree agree and i think i think the key to it is that i i expect flowers is going to shake uh Klanthos for more players to get us out of this hole and Klanthos will have to back him um, and I just wonder, would this been better if he just backed him from the start and, and actually brought in flowers in from the start? Um, I just think that this is this is Mark Robson all over again, isn't it? It's Mark Robson, the whole scenario when he brought had to bring in Davids to do something, and um, you know it just it, we've seen this even under you know even under Rossi when we went through that phase with Rossi where he, Rossi couldn't buy a win. Um, and then we brought in, and then we brought in McGee, and then we brought, and it just, and we started throwing just as much stuff against the wall to see what would stick. Um, 
it is depressing. It is really depressing. And, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't see, I, I it, honestly, it would be crushing to go down to this conference, um, you know, conference South crushing, honestly, like playing Hemel Hempstead and people like that. I mean, seriously, no club is too big to go down. I, I do really think it, that it'd be very difficult. Oh, it would be difficult to come back from that. It probably would. It, 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 what I think is hard, really hard at that level is if we do go down, you know, you, and I watched quite a bit of football at Conference South level and, and seen quite a bit of it. it. It's a very different style of football to the conference. I think bizarrely uh, in some ways it's, you know, it's similar in terms of the, you know, uh, you know, long ball and direct, etc. But, you know, it, what makes that sort of level of football fun insofar as if you're someone on Saturday afternoon, middle of October saying, oh, why not go to the football? Is it's a bit more laid back. It's a bit more fun. You can go with your mates. Um, it's a sort of local aspect to it. What you don't want to be doing is going to the Hive to watch a Conference South match because I can guarantee you that is it's the antithesis of that. And what I really worry about more and more is that if we do go down, you're going to see a real spiral there of people not going because... It's just a bizarre thing. You're walking past this multi-million pound complex, you know, to watch, you know, you know, J- John and Jeff from the Dog and Duck League play four four two and knock it in the channels for ninety minutes. No one's going to want to do that. Um, and it, it's the antithesis of what normally football is about. Almost playing that stadium. So I think going down the, the sort of cognitive dissonance in in uh, in what you say and um, in terms of right, we're a progressive, forward-thinking club to what actually happens when you go into that stadium would just be too much for a lot of people. Um, but anyway, we're going to finish off this pod with uh, with a couple of questions, um, Mem, a lot of them to go through. So we're going to rattle through them quite quickly, if that's OK. Um, first question from Dave Merck saying, stick or twist in terms of investing in new players over the uncertainty in the season? Stick or twist, Mem? Yeah, I think I'm going to say twist, but probably only after a, a week or two of seeing if we can change what we've currently got. Uh, Dragonfly asks, is a complete overhaul with a club culture from top to bottom needed? Um, would avoided season or league give the opportunity to look at the football model in more detail? I think, well, the, the, the culture of the site, uh, the club starts from the chairman. Although I do think Flowers has got it in him to to be given responsibility for the football side and not have uh, Cleanthos sort of medal. So it's whether or not that if we need, to, we need Flowers to be successful, so Flowers will stick around. Um, so the culture, I think, will change. Flowers strikes me as the sort of guy that will be like, you know, you, you, you're with me or you're gone. So yeah. as it, I'm quite happy with that. I yeah, I agree. I don't want to the place out. I, I'm one of the big ones who, for, for a big culture revamp. I do worry that if the season does get voided, we won't, um, yeah, we won't necessarily have that review and we'll kind of get away with it. Um, Anthony's saying, do we need to spend money paying up contracts with the dead wood? There can't be a healthy environment having players there who know they aren't wanted, um, e.g. Nugent. And we've hopefully covered the shopping list. So, Mem, on the contracts of paying up Deadwood? No, just give them out loan. Yeah, I think that. I'd also say, like, even though we're not, I don't think we're quite out of the woods with COVID yet. So it doesn't always help having players at your disposal who you can play. Um, you know, there's a high chance that, you know, our fitness record has been pretty poor in the past. But if they're doing extra training, there's a risk of COVID. You probably want some level of squad depth to, to get around that. Um, and also financially, I don't think that would necessarily make sense. Um, Lee asks, is Tim Flowers the right man for a proper relegation battle? Yeah, I agree. I think so. I think so. I think he's got the right attitude. Um, he's uh, he's clearly not going to take any any crap. And, and to be honest, I, I really was really impressed with his interview yesterday. And I know proofs in, uh, proofs in the pudding, but the fact is, is that he's seeing what, exactly what we're seeing. And, and it's n- never more infuriating when a manager comes out and does his post-match interview and you're like, are you watching the same game as me? He was watching exactly the same game as us, which would suggest then that he's going to change things the way that we're all looking at. Get somebody better on Deadpool kicks. Don't play three at the back anymore. Um, and, you know, and play players that want to play. Burge asks, what hasn't been done already to get things going? Uh, so is there anything, have they looked at like stuff like taking players days off after performances like that, um, releasing one or two to make a point? So I think the kind of implication there is, do we need to be a bit more stick than carrot perhaps? I think, I think, like anything in life, um, you don't try, you don't have one system, you don't have one way of managing every player. Every player's got different motivations. There'll be some players need a carrot, some players need a stick. I think the key to it is is flowers working out very quickly. Who you know who gets who needs the carrot and who needs the stick. Um, Austin asks realistically, how many players are we away from a half decent side? Eleven. 
<laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, no, you'd be surprised at how quickly a side can be transformed by a couple of players. You know, it's, it, it has a knock-on effect. Um, I think if we get to get a couple of players in the right areas, all, I think it will, it, it will not only inspire players, but it will create a bit more belief because players will look up and go, right, that guy's decent. Um, I know if I make this run, that guy's going to fight me. I know if, I, if, I, if I'm looking up, that guy's going to be there for me. So I think, you know, sometimes it only needs a couple of players. Look at Man United. Bruno Fernandes has come in and Bruno Fernandes has turned him, uh, you know, turned him around one guy. And it just through, you know, through the, how he has lifted him, you know, these, the way he's inspired the rest of the team. The only, ca- the only caveat I'd add to that is I think score building is a bit like a recipe. You, you have to follow the instructions in the right way. I do believe even if we've got some very good players in one or two, the culture is in just such a difficult place right now. It's almost, it's very difficult to, to not get dragged down to the mean. So I actually think a lot of the players we've got, if you added them to say last season's squad or a squad before that, they actually wouldn't be a bad addition. Um, I just think that the culture is such a difficult thing to change. You need a couple of huge personalities to come in there. Daly looks like a personality, but you probably need one or two more um, who are good players with huge personalities. And then I think you can change it. And I do believe that a lot of those players are underperforming. Uh, Felix asked, what formation should we play? Uh, Mem, what do you think? Well, I sound like yeah, Mike, was it Mike Bassett. Mike Bassett. 4-4-2. Yeah, I, I think I'd, I'd use the 4-4-2 as a... I'd, okay, let me put it this way. I'd definitely play four at the back to start off with. I think it's easier to drill back four than a back five or a back three. Um, and then I think from that you can you've got a template to go to a four two three one or a four four two or a whatever it is you want to do uh, a four two two two. But I would say start with back back at the four, Felix. That's how we we go from there. Um, and then we'll do uh, a couple from from Jimbo, who's asked uh, asked and answered a lot of his own questions there, um, which is which is great. Uh, so I think we've covered a lot of them there. Last one, um, a kind of couple of things here about the fans and, and the club and, and what's sort of going on there. Do you feel the fans are being let down at the moment, Mem? Do you feel that the fans need to be more positive? What, you know, what, what, what role do the fans have to play in, in getting us out of this mess, if any? Well, it's very difficult. We're sitting there behind laptops watching games. Um, admittedly, on, on Twitter, we, we can be negative, but you know, Twitter, we're, just, we're literally just discussing what we, what we see. Um, and I think... The players, in some respects, um, are, are getting slightly, getting off lightly, slightly because we're not in the grounds giving them grief. So there's no outside like pressure coming. There's no pressure coming in from around the pitch. So clearly, that so they should be able to, you know, we'd hope that they'd be able to focus on their on what they need to do. So I don't think there's a huge amount we can do really that can affect them. I think it's about them players and the manager finding finding a solution. Yeah, agreed. I think um, fans have a unique role in driving the club forwards in terms of the long term. But yeah, in the short term, uh, there's not much we can really do apart from offer our thoughts and and try and yeah try and draw the line. I'd say between the professional and the personal. I do think the players should be immune from criticism, and I think some of them deserve a lot of criticism. But you know, they are human, and I think everyone performs when they feel they're being supported and held account. So we've got to find that balance. Mem, uh, it's been a bleak time. Uh, start of 2021 we've got a big game against Torquay on the Saturday um, but before we go there any final thoughts from you yeah I just want to make a point actually because I did notice it and I've noticed this before in the past um, on Twitter um, you know saying about about supporters I think our fans have been all right actually in not copying players in for big criticisms and stuff like that but I think if you're the sort of person that googles your own name and then you see stuff you don't like I think um, I think you you know kind of you deserve, you deserve getting, you know, you're creating, you're making yourself annoyed. So what I would say to any Barnet players listening to this, don't Google, don't, don't search your name on Twitter if you've just had a mayor of a game or if the team's just played badly. Because I think most of the supporters have been quite polite in not tagging in players when they've been criticising. And I've had it where I've criticised the player um, and this player seems to be, have an army of people searching his name on Twitter. Uh, come back to me, come back on me. And, and I've noticed that, that that army has come back on other people. And it's like, don't search the player's name on Twitter after a bad result. You know, th- just stay off Twitter. Uh, most of the supporters aren't tagging you in. All right. Uh, that, I'll leave it with that. Okay. <laughs> And on a separate note, let's hope that Alfie Pavey rediscovers his scoring form as soon as possible. <laughs> Man, it's been a pleasure. Uh, as usual, um, I look forward to paying my uh, £12, I think it is, for the Torquay game uh, on Saturday. 
uh, and seeing how we get on there. I do think things are hopefully going to get better, uh, but who knows? It could be 7-0 at half time then. Uh, but until then, guys, we really hope all of you are safe and well and your families are safe and well. That is the most important thing. Um, and uh, just keep signing those petitions to get the season cancelled. And hopefully we'll see you back at the Hive watching something that looks like a football match very, very soon. Take care, man.